Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow and uh, hope you're all well. Uh, listeners, wherever you are in, in the world. And um, yes, it's nice to be back and still nice to be doing the radio, even though in a slightly different um, way. But as we always say, um, we Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links on your favourite community radio 3CR and Giselle, those AWL numbers. That's right. If you are interested in getting in touch with Australia Asia Worker Links, you can uh, find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on uh, Facebook and Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms. Um, of course, I do want to say, Pierre, that we are recording on uh, Friday the 14th of August for broadcast on Saturday the 15th of August. Um, and that is just the way things are going at the moment while uh, we here in Melbourne, Victoria are in stage four lockdown. That's right. And we're getting better and better at that. And um, in today's program, uh, on top of the usual uh, news roundup from uh, the region, we've got seven stories coming up. We'll be bringing you an interview with uh, Jai Unk Pakorn, a Thai socialist activist who is in exile in the United Kingdom about the recent um, events in Thailand and the um, uh, new development of new protest in Thailand. And we haven't actually had Jai on the program for, uh, for quite a while, so it's great to hear his voice again. But um, we'll go straight to the stories. And um, Giselle, we might go to you as first one. And can I just say, I don't know if you've read them yet, but the last story is one that you will actually like. So I will, that will be yours to read out. Oh, well, listeners, you and I can both travel this journey of suspense together. Um, however, we are going to start in Lebanon uh, and, of course, the tragic situation in that country. Amid anger and protests, the Lebanese government resigns following the massive blast at the port of Beirut last week and faced with massive popular anger. The Lebanese government tendered its resignation this week and new elections are expected in a couple of months. The death toll of the blast now stands at 220, with another 100 missing, many of whom are thought to be migrant workers. Over 6,000 were injured in the blast. This week, there have been major protests in the streets of Beirut, where many government and ministry buildings and offices were stormed and occupied by the demonstrators. Hundreds of demonstrators were injured and arrested by security forces. Protesters, many of whom have been organising almost continuously since last October, are sceptical of the value of new elections as a political system is tightly held between a few political parties and family dynasties. As a parting gesture, the Parliament approved a state of emergency that grants sweeping powers to the army to suppress, de detain and arrest at will. It'll be interesting uh, times ahead, I think. 
But uh, as a follow-up to that story, what that uh, there's been some interest in developing about the source of the ammonium nitrate that led to that horrific explosion and the reason why it was left there in the port. And it's actually highlighted the exploitative nature of international maritime trade. The ship that carried this cargo was uh, a ship called MV Rosas, which was owned by a Russian, registered to a company in Bulgaria, and flagged to Moldova, a country regarded as a flag of convenience. He had set sail from Georgia heading to Mozambique with a new crew on board as the previous crew had uh, left over non-payment of wages. The ship stopped briefly in Beirut but was impounded by officials due to a raft of breaches of standard and guidelines. In order to avoid paying the fines, the ship owner then declared bankruptcy and abandoned the ship and the crew in Beirut. The 10 crew members were then trapped on the ship for a year as authorities tried to get the owner to take back the ship. Only after a local judge intervened were the crew allowed to leave the ship. The Port Authority was then left with the 2,750 tonnes of ammonium nitrate and a rusting ship to dispose of. And moving now to India, uh, last week, in the space of a few days, two separate fires at temporary COVID-19 hospitals once again highlighted the substandard level of safety guidelines and regulations in India. On Thursday, the 7th of August, a fire caused by a suspected short circuit broke out at the Shri Hospital in ah Ahmedabad, killing eight patients. Then on Saturday the 9th, in Vijaywada, southeast India, at the Swana Palace, a hotel being used as a temporary COVID-19 hospital, in that hospital, another fire broke out, killing 11 patients and injuring another 22 people. Given the increasing pandemic in India, there are fears that further fires at temporary COVID hospitals may occur in the future. Quite extraordinary. I mean, people's lives are already at risk. And then um, uh, building these shoddy buildings that in and of themselves uh, take lives. Quite in in incredible, really. Um, we now go to um, the Philippines, um, where unfortunately another left-wing activist was murdered this week. Um, Randall Achanas, the current chair of Anak Pawas, a party list of Labour group, Kilusang Mayo Uno, the KMU, and Deputy Secretary General of the Peasant Group, Kilusang Magbubukid and Filipinas, or the KMP, was murdered in his flat last Monday evening by unknown assailants. Echanis, who was 72, had been staying in a rented apartment in Quezon City as he was undergoing medical treatment at a hospital nearby. A neighbour, Louis Tagapia, who had gone to check on Echanis at that time, was also found stabbed to death. Echanis had been a long-time political consultant for the National Democratic Front of the Philippines. He had participated in peace talks between the government and the New People's Army. He is actually the fourth NDF political consultant to be, to be killed in recent years. It is widely assumed that Achanas' murder was the act of paramilitary forces. Under the government of President Duterte, death squads have been allowed to operate with impunity, creating a regime of terror. And unfortunately, this is certainly not the first um, murder that we have to uh, report on. No. Uh, um, uh, our 
deepest condolences to the comrades in the Philippines. I know that they are suffering um, quite a bit uh, with that uh, death uh, and also um, their families uh, in relation to COVID. And the Filipino diaspora as migrant workers right across the world also suffering from COVID. Moving now to the garment industry, a newly released report has once again highlighted the scale and extent to which um, the workers who are paying the price for this pandemic. The report, titled Underpaid in the Pandemic, analysed the non-payment of wages to garment workers during the three months of March, April and May due to order cancellations by apparel brands, unpaid leave and state-sanctioned wage cuts. It estimated that Averaged across South and Southeast Asia, garment workers had lost almost 40% of their regular income. Extrapolating these findings to the global garment industry, a conservative guess of wages lost by garment workers worldwide, excluding China for these three months, amounts to between three and 5.5 billion US dollars. The consequences of these wage cuts are devastating for some of the poorest workers in the world. I mean, it's quite, um, uh, I can't even find the words to think that they are some of the poorest word, uh, workers in the world and, and they've now lost billions of dollars. It's quite amazing. And uh, we go to another uh, area where workers are losing out in West Asia for migrant workers. It's estimated in the last six months under the twin impact of falling oil prices and COVID-19 over half a million migrant workers in the oil-rich countries of West Asia have been made to return home. Many workers have had their wages cut by as much as 50% this time, while for many of the returnees, they were shipped home with weeks or even months of unpaid wages owing to them. For a country like Nepal, where around 3 million households depend on overseas remittances, this exodus will have devastating repercussions. In addition to losing their wages, many of these workers were still in debt, having had to borrow thousands of dollars to be able to afford recruitment fees and travel to an overseas job. The outcome for these um, uh, families, for these workers' families, will end up borrowing more money from money lenders who lend at exorbitant rates of interest and therefore sink even further into poverty. And our final story for the morning comes from India, where a massive strike by frontline workers. Last week on the 7th and 8th of August, around 600,000 accredited social health activists, um, or ASHA workers, as they're commonly known, across India went on strike. While these workers from the first response team in India's fight against COVID-19 in rural and urban slum areas, ASHA workers complain that they have not been given any PPE kits despite regular demands since March. In addition, they're demanding the payment of unpaid wages, hefty pay rises, better social insurance coverage and the status of a government employee. These workers were joined by thousands of Anganwadi rural child and family health and welfare workers who were also demanding better protection, better wages and conditions and recognition of their occupation. Of course, Pierre, I know that you drew that to my attention because the Anganwadi workers are uh, some amazing uh, women workers in India that I have just found absolutely um, inspiring in their 
millions upon millions across that country, they have been fighting to be recognised as workers instead of receiving a stipend um, for their, you know, full-time work. So, yes, uh, I'm very pleased that these health workers um, are striking in India. Yes. And there's some great videos on, on the net, actually, of, of them. So, um, yeah, fantastic. And hopefully they win. Indeed. Well, that does bring us to the end of news from around the region. We'll go to some community announcements and then our feature story for the morning. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. An important message from the Victorian Government about coronavirus. To manage coronavirus and save lives, immediate action is required. This means if you can stay home, you must stay home. Yes, it's a major disruption to your lives, but this disruption today will save the lives of many Victorians tomorrow. If you think you may have coronavirus, call the government's hotline on 1800 675 398 or visit coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Victorian Government. Managing this together. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents with Giselle and Pierre. Pierre, what's the story this morning? Yes, um, so we were lucky enough uh, early in the week to catch up uh, with one of the uh, regular announcers over the regular guest over the years, Jai Unkpakorn, who is a Thai socialist activist who has been forced in exile in the UK due to the repressive laws in Thailand. And he basically brings up us up to date with the latest developments in Thailand. In the last few weeks, we've seen a resurgence of the protest movement against the government of Prayuchano Ocha in Thailand. And uh, it would seem that these new protests are being organised by a new group called the Free Youth. What can you tell us about these new protests? And is it a, a new group that has um, organised? And, and who are they? Well, the uh, groups that are protesting at the moment are being led by young students, both university level and, um, and secondary school level. And so there are fresh faces and, and, and new activists. And it's also got networks throughout the country, which means that you we've been seeing networks, uh, protests in Bangkok, in Chiang Mai, in a lot of uh, provinces where they, especially where they have universities, and that in, uh, includes the South. But um, a few days ago, the the organisation wanted to expand their network to include non-students and ordinary people, and, that, and this is a very positive thing. Of course, although the the, the faces and the activists are new. In a situation like this, you always have links with previous activists. So um, it's not just a sort of um, unorganized uprising of people who haven't been involved before. I mean, a lot of people may not have been involved in 
political activities, but they are um, influenced and, and supported by older activists. And so it's a breath of fresh air. We hope that the, um, the movement will expand. It has to expand in order to, to actually shake the government. At the moment, the movement, which includes uh, non-students as well, they have three demands. One is to that the junta stop sending soldiers and police around to intimidate people who who um, speak out. The second demand is that um, a new constitution be written, not just changes to the the present military constitution. So a new constitution to be written by the people. And thirdly, that the House of Representatives be suspended so that um, new elections can take place. From what I've, I've seen and, and read, there also seems to be an increased criticism of the, of the king and the monarchy, especially from Europe. Would you be able to comment on that? Well, the present king is, is a complete idiot and um, behaves in an utterly disgraceful manner in terms of his lifestyle and, and the way he treats women. I mean, he's, he's been sitting out the COVID crisis in a luxury hotel in, in Germany. He hasn't made any attempt whatsoever to, to improve his image or anything like that. I mean, his image was pretty bad when his father was still alive. His image is a thug, a womanizer. He's got a harem in, in Germany. So he lives in Germany and on occasions he will fly over to Bangkok um, in order to carry out certain ceremonies and so on. And people are really quite fed up with all this. Um, the issue is that um, those that are speaking out about the king are being becoming much more um, open and and challenging the fact that he lives in in Germany and then is living off the uh, taxpayers' money and so on and and his lifestyle. They're also challenging the fact that he forced certain changes to the constitution in order to allow him to to live abroad without having to to have a regent appointed and so on. And and also um, another thing that he managed to do was to to centralise all the, the royal wealth under his own command. And um, he's also made changes to some changes to the military, although I believe that this is just um, not very important, but just cosmetic. The, the issue is, though, of course, that um, a number of people, there is, a, there is a current of feeling among certain ties that he, the king, is the most powerful person and, and is controlling the military junta and, and is, is responsible for everything that's wrong with Thailand, which is actually a mistaken view. I mean, he, he doesn't have a great deal of power. It's, very unlikely that someone who spends most of their time abroad could possibly have power, especially over the military. There's no precedent for any dictator through anywhere in the world or in Thailand having power 
from from abroad. In fact, dictators tend to be afraid of going abroad in case they get overthrown back home. And so, in some ways, um, the the more open and frank criticism of the the monarchy is to be welcomed, because you know so far it's been a taboo issue, or people have been thrown in jail for criticizing the monarchy, and the monarchy is used. Um, as a tool to prop up the military, the military use the monarchy, the military the, the real power in the country. So criticizing the monarchy is, is to be welcomed and anyone who does so should not face um, prosecution from the junta and should be supported by all of us who believe in democracy. But on the other hand, I think that there, there is a negative side to it and that is that if you just concentrating on the monarchy, you take your eyes off the military and they're the real power. And we we should not forget that in the past, after the Second World War, um, Thailand had a military dictatorship run by generals who didn't like the monarchy. They weren't they were anti monarchists. So military dictatorships, you know, can be royalists or anti monarchy, but they're still in our front to democracy. They're very good points, um, Giant, and that really uh, brings us back to Thailand, to the government there, which is run by an ex-general of Prayut Chan-o-cha, who the recent uh, elections last year were basically totally rigged in their favour. How are they going and how have they been able to ride the COVID-19 crisis? first thing to be said is that they... They're using the COVID-19 crisis and the and the laws um, about you know, social distancing and so on in order to to try and prevent protests. And Thailand's um, COVID um, situation is not that bad. I mean, the, the number of people who who have it is is low. Although I don't think the testing data is very accurate. But certainly the number of people who have died has been significantly lower than than Western countries. But this is not really anything to do with with the, the policies of the government. It's something it's an issue that's shared in, in other Southeast Asian countries. There are uh, factors like the age of the population being quite young, factors like life being spent most of the time out outdoors and lower levels of obesity and so on. But what what ha- did happen with with the COVID crisis is that people who were in um, insecure jobs were thrown out of work with very little um, support from the government. So it became a crisis of of poverty. The, I think that there is a lot of um, anger against, against the government and a lot of feeling that you know enough is enough. But the reason why the the what I would call this present parliamentary dictatorship, uh, because as you said, the, the election process is completely rigged. They're using the, the elections and, and parliament as, as an ex, sort of a, a mask to cover up the, the fact that the, the junta are still in power. And the reason that they are still in power is because the level of protest has been fragmented and, and weak. Um, and you really need to, to get large numbers of people onto the streets and including workers um, 
striking if possible and so on in order to bring down the government i mean if you if you look at the the numbers of people um, on the streets in beirut and compare it to bangkok it's, we we need uh, something like beirut in bangkok and it is to be hoped i mean the the numbers of people who have been protesting with the with the students and so on has been much higher than than before before it was small groups fragmented in certain protests w- without trying to bring in uh, a lot of people but it looks like the the present protest movement is trying to expand things they've announced that on the 16th of August there'll be yet another protest they came out to to protest when one of the activists uh, a lawyer Anon Nampa was arrested and um, he's the one that stood up and made very open comp- criticism of, of the monarchy when he was arrested the people gathered outside the police station and the courts and also in the center of of Bangkok he's been released on on bail at the moment so it is to be hoped that the the number of people who um are protesting will increase and there will be support from lots of other groups including workers but we'll just have to wait and see as a final question um jai obviously no one's got a crystal ball but given the history of uh, of thailand do you think that there is a risk if the protest movement grows that the military will actually adopt um very harsh measures against them there's always that risk the military and including the general who is prime minister at the time have blood on their hands they shot down um red shirt protesters in the past they've have a history of killing unarmed civilian protests um since the early 1970s at the moment they seem to be worried about um uh, coming out like that i mean it really depends on the dynamics of the the protest and and how they react but i mean it would be a mistake for people to to um not protest because there are others are saying well you know you will only get shot now it's easy for me to say this because i'm not in bangkok but i think that the only way we're going to get rid of the military junta and get rid of the monarchy is to have large protests and the larger they are i think the more difficult it becomes for the army to to shoot people especially if if workers go on strike well thank you um for that jai and uh, we certainly hope that um things will um develop uh, in a positive way in thailand so thank you very much for your wise words and we wish you all the very best thank you very much and you just heard an interview with jai unpakorn a thai socialist activist in exile in the uk about the recent um developments and events in thailand and um I I know that some of those student protests have been having Harry Potter protests where um basically they're trying to refer to the monarchy as he who cannot be named Voldemort from that theme anyway interesting to watch what's happening in Thailand That's right the new generations have got new tactics
Well, that does bring us to the end of Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday morning. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and for continuing to support 3CR during this pandemic when none of us are allowed to leave home, certainly in the Melbourne metropolitan area anyway. We will be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. But for now, that's it from me, Giselle Hanna. And me, Pierre Morrow.